Deuteronomy 7, 9. We're going to go uh, to the Old Testament a few times today. And I, I won't keep you standing for just uh, long, just this one verse. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love and keep his commandments to, everybody say, a thousand. And everybody say generations. Amen. I'm so glad about that. Why don't you turn uh, to someone and say, I want to keep God's covenant. Thank you very much. Some of you that have dug into the word all your lives or in the last 30 minutes, uh, that, 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 me saying I want to keep God's covenant, you're going to uh, kind of see where I'm going with that today. But the bottom line is God has no problem keeping his covenant. Amen. A covenant between God and Israel can be traced back to the first book of the Bible. We're going to actually get, this is going to be more of a lesson. I know in the last several weeks I've, I've kind of just uh, got excited and blew up up here and just was really excited about it. I'm super excited about this today, but we're, we're going to do, do a lot of uh, um, talking about God's covenant. It can be traced back to the first books of the Bible. As we will explore today, it is found in both the Jewish and Christian faith. The term covenant is mentioned many times in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, the concept of a covenant is, is a vital relationship between God and the Israelites. We see that as we read the scripture. The Old Testament covenant was similar to what we in the modern world today, if you've never heard, if you never sit underneath a study of the covenant or, or had somebody preach about the specific covenant, not, not just the new covenant, but it's like a contract. Amen. A treaty. We might call it a will. Uh, sometimes uh, in, in our culture, one of the most familiar examples of a covenant for us is a marriage. One of the most, uh, most awesome uh, covenants, of course, is between God and the people of Israel. And that's who we are, we're going to discuss a little bit about today. Each covenant established the foundation of a relationship, promises, and conditions of the relationship, and consequences if those conditions were unmet. It's important because covenants provide the connection for a basis for how the whole story, the whole biblical uh, history of the Bible holds together. As the Bible unfolds, we see God is a covenant making, a covenant keeping, and a covenant fulfilling God. God establishes covenants with certain people, and those covenants are always are, are the way God unfolds his redemptive plan. The covenants are the structure of the story. And there are several covenants in the Bible, but five covenants are crucial. And if you uh, are probably familiar with these, we're just going to uh, hit them uh, quickly. I'm going to try to do it quickly. Uh, are crucial. These five covenants are crucial to understanding the story of the Bible and God's redemptive plan. The Noahic Covenant, and if I'm mispronouncing this, don't throw anything at me. 
Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that's the easy one, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. And I'm only going to highlight the first four before we continue with the new covenant this morning. The first one, Noah, Noahic covenant, is a covenant found in Genesis 9, 18 through 17. And is the promise that God made to Noah and his descendants to never again destroy the earth with a flood. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we only have to worry about Hurricane Ian? And if you live near the beach, getting six feet of water, okay, but that, that's about it, right? You know, you're going to get six feet, ten feet of water, but the whole earth isn't going to be flooded or destroyed by a flood again. God told Noah and his sons that he would establish a covenant with them and with their children and their children's children. And he, he said, uh, you nor anything, no longer, anything at all on the earth will be cut off from me. And I will never destroy the earth by flood again. I'll give you a token or a symbol. Genesis 9, 13, I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now the big title up there uh, earlier was covering it, but you can kind of see when you go to the scripture, there is a rainbow up there. It's a bow. And, of course, we know the bow that they're talking about is to be this. I'm so glad that uh, after a rain, before a rain, during the middle of a rain, you can look to the left or the right or in front of you or the back in your rearview mirror. How many have seen that? And just see this beautiful rainbow behind you. And you say, thank you, God, for the promise, for that covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is between God and, of course, Abraham or Abram as he was first called. This is mentioned, and and this is going to be a little bit more lengthy, uh, is mentioned several places in the Old Testament, but it is best described in Genesis 12, where God promises to bless Abraham and his descendants to make them a great nation. And we're going to turn there, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt have a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And these shall all families of the earth, and in these all the families in the earth be blessed. Abram and his wife, sorry, was called out of Haran. And they had lived where they had lived and done well. They... uh, They were meant to go somewhere else, uh, somewhere completely unknown to them. All this time, as well as we know the story, we're familiar with it, they had no children. Abram was still waiting for God to provide an heir to them. Genesis 17, the Lord appeared to him him one more time. In Genesis 17, 1 through 9, and when Abram was 90 years old and 9, 99 years old, God said, we're going to start. Here we go. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, and, and that will preach all in itself because some of you are looking at, looking at me like, wow, that's too old. You're younger than that. What's your excuse? Not to have kids, but to do something for God. I was telling someone the other day, uh, one of the doctors, and here I'm from, uh, one of the doctors, uh, she is a uh, radio, radio, uh, radiology, a reading radiologist, and her husband is too. And like everybody else in the world, 
they got a super busy life. And so she was asking me, anybody in my church, if there was a young person or somebody that can drive can come pick up her kids after school and just stay with them until they get home every day of the week. And I said, you know, the, our issue in our church is we have a lot of little tiny kids, but not a lot of those people yet. <laughs> so we don't need any more little kids. So don't think I'm telling you uh, guys to, uh, to, to start uh, having kids. Amen. But if you know anybody, let me know. I'll let her know. It's a great testimony. It's a great witnessing. Everything, and I didn't mean to turn into this, but go into that. Everything, you can make everything a witness to someone. And of course, you know me. The next thing I ask, have you guys found a church since you've been here? Because they've only been here a couple months. Well, no, we're just so busy. Here. Sent my link, sent the text, all that stuff. This is our church. Come and see us. They live in McGregor somewhere. When we get groups going back, maybe I'm, I'm going to make sure I invite them that way. Where are we at? Number two. Oh, we're going to talk about seeds. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, uh, Behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed, and after thee in, the gener in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. He's going to be a property owner because as a result of his covenant. All the land of Canaan and, and an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. The covenant between God and the Israelites was mediated by Moses. That's how we're going to get into the next one, the Mosaic covenant. And it includes the Ten Commandments and other laws given unto the Israelites. In this covenant, the Israelites agreed to follow, they agreed to follow God's laws. And in return, God would protect and bless them as a special chosen people. The laws given in the Old Testament are a fundamental part of this covenant. The covenant made with David is found in 2 Samuel, where God promises to establish a, a throne of David forever. Praise God. Promising that his descendants would have an everlasting dynasty, and the Messiah would come from him, from his line. The covenant is linked with the idea of the Messiah in the Jewish and Christian Believes As you have just heard, as I have just tried to articulate and tried to explain, a covenant with God is a tremendous blessing as well as a tremendous responsibility. Oh, you don't believe me here this morning. Maybe I'll just jump to the very end. What are we doing with our covenant with God right now? If you don't think it's serious, amen, what you need to be doing, amen, then you don't understand the, I know Renee's going to yell at me, the intricacy, or intricacy, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, I got to say that word, and I, well, it isn't even my nose, uh, yeah, yeah, 
Intricacy, yeah. It's, I learned that in social distancing. You don't understand the perplexity of God's performing his covenant with you. What he went in, what he did, what he put in, I should say, to do that. And so we should never take that lightly. And I'm not talking lightly, funny, ha-ha. That, that's okay. I mean, if, if it's inviting somebody in your work at the spare of the moment to come to church, that's what I'm talking about. We have to be ready for that. If it's praying on your knees until you get an answer for God, we got to do that. If it's driving somebody home that you that don't have a, a, a ride, we have to do that. Hey, man, if it's going out of your way to make disciples to reach the loss, then we need to be serious about that. That's what I'm talking about. Your name might change. Your position might change. Your job might change. Your location might change. You might even become a landowner. Hallelujah. It is something that Noah, Abraham, Moses, and even David could not take lightly or for granted. They shouldn't have. I should say that. We know history in the Bible shows us God has never broken his covenant. But not so much his people. Israel, Israel repeatedly broke the covenant and, and the penalties eventually kicked in. And this led to much suffering for the Israelites. And we know that mo much of this suffering led to and was also because of captivity. The children of Israel went from establishing a covenant with God to being held captive by the enemies and then back to the covenant and then once again back into captivity. We see this example time and again in the Old Testament from the nation of Israel to individuals like Samson. One minute, the most powerful man in the world, the next one tied between two pillars. Covenant to captivity. I almost put to covenant again, but I thought the title would be too long. Covenant to captivity. Hear me out. It's a vicious cycle that has not been limited to just the Old Testament and some of its characters, but has continued to spin down from generation to generation until here we are in the year 2023 where the evidence of this sequence is not only plastered in front of our face, but has crept into our hearts as well. If you know me this morning, you know that I'm not here to drag you through your past or your present failures and mistakes. I don't do that. We all have them. But it is to reach down and offer you an encouraging hand to lift you out of those ruts of bad decision. That's another word God has put in my, my life recently, ruts. And if you were here the last couple times I spoke about. But we need, we fall into these bad decisions. And I'm not talking necessarily, and you know what, after I was trying to change something this morning, I told Renee, after I realized this, I realized, wait a second, I didn't put something that I was thinking about in there. And what it is, is, is I know the crowd I'm talking to this morning. And I know sometimes it feels we're, we're reiterating something. We're going over something that we already know, salvation. We know about the covenant. We know that stuff. But I believe there's something to gain to learn from learning more about the covenant of God. Because it's not always, I'm just going to get up, drive in my car, go down to the bar, and drink until I'm drunk and come home, and then be the worship leader Thursday night. 
It's not, it's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about decisions in our life. Promises that God gave us that we broke. So let me put that in there right now. I'm not talking about you just completely backsliding and falling away from God, even though we're going to get into that too. Because I don't know any of your hearts like God knows them. Including myself. And so why do I want to lift you out of these bad decisions or these ruts and stuff? Give you encouragement. Because we've all been there. And we all need a hand, including myself. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we got to look at this verse like we do at Romans 10. He's talking to a saved church. Now that sinned is past, but come short of the glory of God is present. So we have to understand the word sin here means to miss the mark, to make a mistake, to wander from the path or the law of God. Sin. It, it literally means sin as well, but also in all those. And don't get me wrong, a mistake can cost you eternity. I'm not up here foo-fooing around saying, oh, it's just a mistake. You don't have to worry about it. You'd be Baptist. No, we're not Baptists. I might have said this before, and this is the levity in it. So how many times I've witnessed to a Baptist or they witnessed to me with a cigarette in their hand? I think not only is that you're damaging, it's a sin and all that stuff, but it's just nasty. You don't need to do that. So this could be you this morning, a mistake, just something, a step out of bounds stuff. And I, but you know what? I am glad you are here. I want to encourage you. And hopefully the rest of this message will be a little bit more encouraging God has given us a promise of redemption, and that is in Jesus Christ. Most of us here have been on the receiving end of a promise or covenant of a redemptive salvation with God at some point in our past. But I'd like to ask you, have you ever wondered about why our salvation is based on a promise from God and not us? God promises we repent. God promises we get baptized. God promises and we're filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we come down to an altar and go before God asking forgiveness for all the sinful things we have done, all the mistakes we've ever made. We cry out loud to ourselves. We feel the flow, the peace, the, that confession, leaving our thoughts and our mouths. I was just talking to my coworker this week about how you can, you can watch a movie. You can hear a song. You can feel the emotion because God made us emotional. And when we come before God at an altar and we repent and we realize that God is re removing our sin or he's answering or forgiving, I should say, forgiving our sin, it feels good. But that's not the Holy Ghost. And then God, because of his covenant, after we've been down here, his mercy, his grace, and yes, his promise, wraps the embrace of forgiveness that dates back to the cross around us. And we begin to feel the peace and joy because at that exact moment, we realize that God is a promise keeper, a covenant keeper, and he has forgiven us. Can you, why don't we praise God right now? Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your promise of forgiveness. Thank you, God, for your covenant. 
What I just read right there, that, my friend, is an example of God's amazing love. And so to order to, to continue where I'm going today, I need to bring up this next point. Very often, like the children of Israel, after they escape persecution or rescued by God, we forget how good it is with Jesus. And the reason maybe we went to the altar in the first place. The reason why we asked for that blessing in the first place. The reason why we wake up in the middle of the night and God told us to do something and we agreed 20 years ago, but I haven't done it. We go back to captivity. Covenant to captivity. We forget God's promises. Oh, I'm not out there driving down to the bar. I know. But has God given you a promise? Amen. And we haven't kept? Amen. I, I, I mentioned a, a fence last time I was up here. God calls you to paint the fence. He might want you, you to go buy the paint and start painting. You don't need to worry about anybody else but the job that God gave you. Because God, will, well, they will understand that it's God. And you need to press forward and do what you're called to do. Do what you're doing. Of course, our pastor is, is our shepherd, our authority here. And we want to reach out to him and let him know. But we need to press on. We need to do it. I'm going to hurt somebody's feeling. Not if God called you to do that. I'm going to do that. Not if God called you to do that. And if we don't and we sit back, we start feeling nervous and irritated. Why? Because we are back into captivity in our minds and our hearts, and we're not doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes it's very scary. Sometimes you got to put an aspirator on to paint that fence because you're scared. Sometimes it's tough, in other words. Sometimes things have to rip apart. Sometimes things have to come out of place and then put it back together. Sometimes you have to get discomfort. I don't know why I'm going there. It's not in my notes. But sometimes you have to feel uneasy. Sometimes. Imagine standing over your kid with a knife because God told you to do something. And how hard that was. Amen. As we read and read and read and read, we know that covenants are not always easy. The promises God are, are not always uh, clouds or rainbows. They are rainbows sometimes, right? But they're not always that. They're always situations that God wants you to grab a brush and just start painting. So we forget what happens. We begin, to, we begin to venture out on our own. You know, maybe God didn't want us to take that position. Maybe God didn't want us to start that uh, outreach. Maybe God didn't want us to uh, present a song to Sister Leslie or something. Maybe God didn't really want me to. So we sit back, and you know what happens? We become frustrated, and then we start feeling. And I know this by personal example in my family. We start thinking people don't want us to do it. Why? Because we didn't make the decision to do it. And so we start going into captivity in our own mind. And it starts doing that. And, and we're going to get a little bit more about that later. Uh, we accepted the covenant at an altar, but, but, not, but we, not God, 
broke that contract. But there's another promise God made to never leave us or forsake us, to comfort us with the Holy Ghost when we worship and when we pray and when we live for him. And God is always there when we decide to pull that promise out of the drawer or file cabinet. Why? Because God is faithful and true to his covenant. And before you start throwing things at me, I know I, that what I just said was really simplified in that an analogy, painting a picture of just going to a cabinet and taking, uh, taking that promise off a shelf. Why? Because it is simple. Because we simply put it there. And that's how easy it is to get God back in your life. Go to an altar. And that's what I mean by a shelf or a cabinet. Go somewhere and say, God, bring me back. God, fulfill that covenant with me again. God makes it easy to return. There's an altar. Every minister up here, every one of us, we have an ego, right? We have a flesh. We have that. However, we want you to repent and get a hold of God every service. It's not because of what we're saying up here. And I, I wanted to preface that because I wanted to make sure I wasn't going there. It's because I know what God can do in my life. And I know I've been in captivity, covenant, captivity, and covenant again. In my brain, in my life, in my spirit, physically, I've been in and out. And I know that it is always easy, or God always makes it easy to return. We make it difficult. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at in this world, physically or spiritually, he has designed his covenant to be attainable, even at our lowest moments. And this is the new covenant. Jeremiah prophesied of it. Jesus fulfilled it, and we are saved by it. It is established through life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This covenant fulfills the earlier covenants as open to all people, not just the Israelites. It emphasizes forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. There is no relationship between God and man today without this new covenant. It involves obligations, responsibilities, and promises on both sides. But as we have gone already, we are not the only party in this contract. I mean, we are the only party in this contract that breaks promises. Praise God. Sister uh, Sarah, Luke 15, verse 20. Here we go. Jesus' name. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. God makes it easy. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. God has it already there for you. He's waiting for you to return. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. He was in captivity. And he's alive again. He is freed. He was lost. Captivity. And he has found covenant. And they begin to be merry. This story begins where the son gets, his son gets what is promised. And then he runs off 
and breaks it and loses it all. He broke the contract and decided to go a different way to disregard that covenant or contract. The thing here is like that, like, like so many, like maybe some of us, we stayed, then we left the house or the community, the faith, while God remained faithful. Because God does not change. In this story, the father made a covenant with him. His father would never go back on his word, but instead he would be there with arms open to receive him. The story of the prodigal son is a picture of God's love for us and his children. God's love for us does not depend on our faithfulness. It is unconditional. Sometimes we get in a stoop because we think God doesn't love us anymore. And that's a lie from the devil because his covenant, his promises are unconditional. Amen. God loves you no matter what you're going through. I have mentioned twice this week to someone. Yeah, I, know, I know it's a cliche. I know everybody says it, but Jesus is the answer to everything. Everything in your life, from jobs, from houses, from kids, from Holy Ghost, from healings, from marriages, God is the answer to everything. He makes it easy to approach him. We make it hard. He loved us while we were still sinners. Through, though we are demanding and do not remain faithful, God is still faithful and loving. However, when we come to repent of our sins, he is willing to forgive us. And he welcomes us with open arms, no matter how hard it was for us to get there. He always upholds his end of the agreements. As the song says, he's a covenant-keeping God. God is faithful. He's not going to break his promises or abandon his people, even when they fail to fulfill their obligations. He's trustworthy. We as believers can have confidence that God will act in accordance with the terms of the contract and the covenant. Consistent. There is so many examples of God fulfilling his promises. This consistency in God's action is evidence of his covenant-keeping nature. He has grace and mercy. How many is glad about that? Even when we fall short of our, on our part, God is gracious and he's merciful. He provides opportunities for repentance and forgiveness and renewal in the covenant relationship. He fulfills prophecies. There are so many prophecies that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled in our eyes, as, as so many of us have said. This is a demonstration of God's covenant-keeping character. He also, he also develops in us an, an ongoing relationship. He, he provides that, I should say, an ongoing relationship. It's not just based on the past, but it's continuously renewed and, affirm, and reaffirmed. His relationship with us. Brother Andy, God touches you and your family. It's a confirmation that God has a, I have a relationship with God. Amen. The car made it here this morning with AC. God loves you. He wants you to make sure you're here and you're not in a bad mood. Amen. Amen. You go home, the power is off. 
you get to witness to FPL guy. God is faithful. He says, this is what you need to do. In any situation, God is faithful in that. Music team, you, you can come up. Keeping the New Testament covenant with God requires living a life in line with the teachings and principles of the New Testament. So we have to have faith and belief in Jesus. We believe in and acknowledge that Jesus can save our soul from hell. We have to have faith in that. He can save us. Repentance involves recognizing and turning away from your sins. It's a vital part of New Testament message of salvation. Baptism. We must be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. This world, excuse me, this world has many faiths. And they see baptism as an outward expression of one's faith and commitment to Jesus. They see it as a symbol of cleansing and rebirth. But Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. He didn't say, just look like you're saved. I know some people want to believe that. He didn't say, just follow this. Just, it's just an outward sign of an inward feeling. No, he said, you must be born again. He didn't say, just look, get wet, and everybody's going to know about it. Like I was baptized as a teenager. You're just showing everybody that your commitment to Jesus. Okay. Because I didn't have a covenant yet. Being baptized with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe. They will speak with new tongues. And the book of Acts is proof of that. We can go there. Study the scripture. That's what we have to do. Don't rely solely on what you hear. Reading and studying the Bible is vital for understanding Jesus, his teachings and principles. It guides our Christian life. Prayer. We need a consistent and meaningful prayer life. Prayer is an opportunity to seek guidance, to give thanks, and it deepens your relationship with Christ. And I underscore a meaningful prayer life. Follow Jesus' teaching. goes without saying. Community and fellowship. As I mentioned last Tuesday night, we need each other. We need fellowship. Oh, I'm a loner. Well, you might be surprised in heaven. Oh, I'm a curmudgeon and I don't like people. You might not make it. Don't dislike people. Mm -mm. That's a fine line to call yourself a Christian and then just be by yourself. Don't like anybody around you. Don't, mm -mm. Don't, don't do that. I don't know how many times Renee and I have a relation in our relationship has talked, and I'm, I'm, dirty, I'm airing out a little dirty laundry here, about family or people that we know that are going to die alone because they just have that sourpuss attitude. Some in the church and ministers, some not ministers, and some out of the church that's never been to church too. You don't want to be. Service and compassion. Make it a point to help someone and you will be blessed. Trust and patience. Remember to trust in God's plan. Be patient in times of difficulty and challenges. Remember, God is with you. Forgiveness. Let's stand. As Jesus taught and practices, uh, practice forgiveness towards others as he taught us. Forgive as you have been forgiven by God. Live a life of love. We cannot follow Christ without love. First John 4, 7 and 8, what? 
For God is love, and they that loveth is born of God, and loveth God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Love him with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. That guy that trims, uh, lets his branches hang over your fence, love him. Amen. Maybe their, their doggy goes to the bathroom in your yard. Love her. Love him. Remember that keeping the New Testament covenant with Jesus is a lifelong journey. And it's going to involve ups and downs. That's encouragement. That's not depressed uh, teaching there. It, it's going to do that. Because we've all, probably have all experienced an up and a down this week. Something happened to our car. Something happened on the road. Something happened this. Something happened at work. The best thing to do if you make a promise to God and fall short of the fulfilling, really quick, you can keep playing, but a little quieter because I can't hear. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Okay, so let me. I'm just going to do this out here so I can hear. Uh, the best thing to do if you find yourself slipping away is not hide it or deny it. Own up to your mistakes. I've fallen away from God, but I have to get back to God. I know what I did wrong, and I know where I need to go. You got to do that. So many times we come here grumpy and sit on a pew, and we know what we need to do. We need to come down here and pray and ask God to bless us and heal us and touch us. Own your mistakes. Don't blame somebody else. We are all human. We're all going to be rude and nice and happy and sad and all that stuff. But you can't control what I'm going through right now. Just control what you're going through and own it. Like I have to own it. Don't make excuses. Ask for forgiveness. He will always be there with open arms. Aren't you glad? When you come back and ask for forgiveness, he will always be there. He will strengthen your part. Hey, man, will you strengthen your part of the covenant? Because his is always, always tight, always there, always sturdy, always faithful. How about us today? Why don't we lift our hands right now as we begin to worship God?